So we get to a pretty powerful point in Mark's gospel here. And so I encourage you as I read it to either open up your Bible, you can read along with me, or um, one thing that I've begun doing recently as I read through scripture and I pray through it is I'll try to imagine myself in the moment. Like I'll try to think of what would I see if I was standing there? What would I smell? What would I hear? What would my body feel on the outside? What would I feel on the inside? And I allow the text to just reveal itself and the story to reveal itself. And I allow myself to place myself in the story. So maybe you can do that for yourself this morning. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came back and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. The, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, we've got a lot of sickness. No holy kisses today from any of you. <clears throat> Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Last week we began a section in Mark that is centered around the abandonment of the Son of God. And he's being abandoned on his way to the cross. And he's going to be abandoned by the people who are supposed to be the closest to him. Who said, no Lord, we'll never deny you. We're willing to, to die if we have to. And this week, we're going to find out if they can do that. But first, I want to notice the center of this chiastic form 
that we've talked about. And, and if you're not a part here and you haven't been a part of some of the things that we, we talk about, these writers have a certain literary style of writing, and, and they do that to point to things. And this is one of those. And, and we see there are three predictions, there are three fulfillments, and there are, there are these three these stories, narratives that are in between them all. And, and what we come to this morning is this center part. You know, he's been talking about these predictions, that all this is going to happen, and we feel like that it's time. You know, something's about to happen, something big. But then we come to the very center of all this treachery and denial and abandonment, and we find a pause. And there is a time of quiet, and there is a time of prayer. What we are entering into this morning in this Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane is a part of Jesus that we have never seen in our time in the Gospels before. In fact, if we did not have this account, our understanding of Jesus would be greatly diminished. Because it's here that we see Jesus in a way that we've never seen him before. And he begins in verse 32, and we see that they went to this place called Gethsemane. And he says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Gethsemane, it is, a, uh, it is this beautiful place. Uh, the temple is like back here. Uh, this, is, this is what is known as Gethsemane. You see all of these beautiful olive trees, and, and the word Gethsemane means olive press. Uh, there is today a Catholic church that has been built, and it is, it's there for the very purpose uh, of, of this story. And there, there is a garden that, that, that has been built um, that is to uh, indicate to us, oh, sorry, uh, there's a garden, there's about two dozen olive trees, they're about 500 years old. And I've never been there. Anybody ever been to this? Those of you who've been to the Holy Land, some of you have been there. Of course, Peyton has. It's not fair for the youth minister to get to do things I haven't done. Um, but yeah, there's these beautiful olive trees that are there. And they say it's just this unbelievable place to go and to pray and to meditate and just to read. This is the setting of our text for this morning. And so Jesus comes to this garden and, and he tells them, he tells his disciples, you sit here at this tree and I'm going to go further in. And, and, and he goes ahead in verse 33, we see he takes three of his disciples with him. Once again, this, this theme of three that we find, Peter, James, and John. And he asks them to come with him into this garden a little bit deeper. These are the three who boasted of their allegiance to Jesus more than anyone else. Peter's the one that started that whole thing last week when, when he said, oh no, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I, in fact, I'm willing to die for you. And some of you may even remember back in chapter 10 when Jesus had talked to them about, you know, this... Um, Talk to them, uh, you know, James and John talked to Jesus about sitting at the right and left hand of Christ, the honorable seats, you know. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And he says, you think you can drink the cup that I, I drink? You think you can be baptized with the baptism that I've been baptized with? And we're about to find out if these guys really are who they say they are. 
So we're going to find out some things this morning about this group. And I want to continue on. And let's read verse 33 and 34. So he takes Peter, James, and John. And then it says, And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus is having a panic attack. I'm serious. If you understand what that is, and you understand these words and the depth of the words that are being used here, you understand Jesus, he is, he's falling apart. We've never seen Jesus like this before. Nothing has seemed to phase Christ. Whether he was, you know, in the temple and he had that day where all the religious leaders and groups, they come and they just challenge him one after another. Man, he is just as cool as a cucumber, isn't he? We've seen Jesus get angry. We've seen him get, be joyful. We've seen his passion. But we've never seen Jesus lose his composure. And that's what's happening here. You remember the first time you saw someone that you loved, someone that was just like this stabilizing person in your life. You know, you could always look to them, and they, they were the strong person. You ever, you ever remember a time when they broke down for the first time? You know, for me, it was my dad. And, and, and it, I didn't see it till after, you know, I was in college, and, and when my grandmother passed away, and I, I saw him break down. I'd never seen my dad break down like that before. And you don't forget that. It's an intense moment when you see someone that you've always seen as solid in that way. And here we see the one who holds the whole universe together and he's falling to pieces. Jesus is God. But Jesus is also human. He doesn't even use his own words in, in some of his description here. He, he actually is alluding to a passage from the book of Psalm, chapter 42, I think. And, and I'm just going to read a portion of it and, and get you to understand this, this lament that Jesus is coming from. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemy? As with deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he concludes by saying, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I really think Jesus has taken his inner circle in here because he simply just wants them to be with him. He just wants them to stay awake with him because this is the most trying time that he has faced in his life. Verse 35 says, Jesus went a little further and he fell to the ground. You ever been so overwhelmed that you just buckled? 
Jesus starts praying, and his prayer is intense. It is the first time in Mark's gospel that we're actually given a privilege to know what Jesus says. There's a couple of times it speaks of Jesus praying, and he departs. He goes away from everyone else. And he, and he does really, in a sense, here as well. But Mark it allows us to come as close to the heart of Jesus and the relationship that Jesus has with the Father than any other place that we've seen. And this is what he's praying. He prays that if it is possible for the hour might pass from him. And he said, here verse 36, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Folks, there's nothing in Scripture that compares to Jesus' agony in Gethsemane. It, it had a, an absolute effect on the early believers as well. He, the Hebrew writer said, In the days of the flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. But here's my question to you. Why is Jesus suddenly terrified about his death? We haven't seen this before. It's not like this, Jesus didn't know this was coming. We've seen the three predictions as we've gone through Mark. And Jesus just kind of seems unfazed, unshaken. You know, and even on the third prediction, we find that Jesus is leading the way. He's marching. He's ahead of the group. He's marching to Jerusalem. He's marching to his death. Folks, we could give other examples of people who have shown more bravery and composure than Jesus is in this moment. The question is why? He knows he's facing something that is more terrifying than his own death. Jesus is coming closer to his mission, his messianic mission, which is to give his life as a ransom for many. And to pour out his blood for the many. Now Jesus keeps talking about this cup. And it's like, well, what is this cup he keeps referring to? Is it a literal cup? Well, this, this takes us back to the prophets. It goes back to when they talked about wrath and judgment. And they described it in these metaphors. And one of the metaphors that they used in their poetry was a cup. An example of that is here in Psalm 75, 7 and 8. He says, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For the hand of the Lord, in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. And he pours from out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. That is, to the very bottom. To have to answer for our own sins before a holy God, it should cause us to be fearful. It should cause distress. Folks, we're meant to feel this way. 
But imagine standing for God to answer for every single sin and evil that's ever been done in the world. To identify with sinners so fully as to become the object of God's wrath against sin, it is overwhelming to the point of death. When Jesus prays for the Father to remove the cup, he is asking God not to strike the shepherd. Maybe he's hoping for another Isaac moment, you know? Abraham, he's got the sacrificial knife, the dagger. And maybe he's hoping that God will, will stop it before the dagger falls. Jesus' prayer here, we need to understand, it's not running counter to the will of God. He is exploring the limits of the purpose and the will of God. Is there another way? You ever felt like that before? Prayer is not about changing God's mind. While he wants our petitions and he wants us to lay it all out before him. But prayer is about finding our own alignment in the will of God. When our desires are out of line with God's desires, we have to give up self. Jesus will obey the Father and he's going to come out stronger than his desire to serve himself. But let's check in on his support group, see how they're doing. Verse 37 and 38, he says, it says, And he came and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus singles out Peter. Why does he do that? Because his hour of trial is coming that night too. He needs to be on his face because of what's coming before him. And Jesus says, Peter, the spirit indeed is willing. Oh Lord, I would never deny you. I will die before that happens. But the flesh is weak. Jesus' warning includes himself. Jesus has come to that garden in order to overcome his own human temptation, his own human weaknesses, in order to follow the Father's will. He comes a second time in verse 39, and he says, And again he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him he's praying for the cup to be passed again and he's also praying that the will of God be done his flesh is weak I don't think there's going to be any energy drinks that's going to keep these disciples awake they it's late at night they've had a big supper They've drank glasses of wine. Verse 41, and it came the third time, and he said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The disciples have failed miserably. And my question to you is this Where is the Father? Where is He? There's no booming voice coming from the heavens and saying, Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I love. There's no dove descending. There's no angels that are coming and ministering beside Jesus. Jesus fights human temptation. And through prayer, he gathers the strength to accept the will of the Father. The irony is that when Jesus feels most abandoned and most alone from the Father, he is as close to the will of God as he can be. Let's keep going. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. Lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once, and he said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Jesus, this is the last time that he takes up for himself. He speaks on his behalf. And really he's doing, all he's saying here is just how ridiculous this moment is and how they are being treated. Uh, are treating him. But notice verse 50. And they all, speaking of the disciples, and they all left him and fled. This story began on the Mount of Olives. They said, no, Lord, we'll never fall away. We'll die before that happens. And now we see the very opposite. They abandoned Jesus in order to save their own lives. Those closest to Jesus, they are sleeping while Jesus is in this horrifying, terrifying moment where he is breaking down. They flee from their lives as Jesus is seized and he's hauled away. Another we're going to see in a couple of weeks is going to deny even knowing Jesus. The disciples, just like the many, need to be ransomed. They too need liberation. At the end of the day, folks, our hope is not in ourselves. 
It's not in our goodness. We are like Peter, James, John, and the other disciples. This isn't about self-loathing. It's not what this is about. It's a reminder for the community of believers that we fail and that we're weak. But Jesus isn't frail. And when he comes through his dark night, he passes the test. And the disciples don't. And I usually don't. But Jesus did. My hope and my faith is in him. And that's it. It was his love for me and my, his love for you that allowed Jesus to go through this night despite everyone abandoning him. As we sing this one verse of a song, those who are going to be waiting on the Lord's Supper, you can go out. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him, we to blame. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, listen to this, but he died alone. what you need from this story maybe there's failure in your life and you need to come to Christ in this time of the bread and the cup to come as Peter will later do in all-out repentance and humility knowing knowing that Jesus will embrace him others may need this time Come and kneel with Jesus because your dark hour is here and you're falling apart. My prayer is that the Spirit of God will take this story, this account of Jesus, and it will bury it deep into our hearts so that we can truly see this Jesus who came for us. Father, we come to you this day. And we thank you, Father, for your son. We thank you, Father, for the bread that has been given to us, which represents his body. And Father, may, may we now take it in a, in a well-pleasing manner unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.